0: Hey, this is Sam Piccolotti, your host of NZD Fit, the No Zero Day's Life. Bring a new podcast episode to you today. Pretty stoked to introduce today's guest. You know, we've been lucky to bring on uh, some some really great sporting legends. And uh, to advance uh, with that legends of sport, I'd like to introduce to you today, Mrs. Karen Smyers. Karen is a 30-year professional triathlete. um, seven-time national champion, four-time world champion, you want to see something pretty dramatic, tune in to the 1995 Kona Ironman World Championship race and watch her finish when she overtook the reigning champion Paula Newby-Fraser. An incredible race, very dramatic finish. Anyway, we get to meet Karen. And we talk about her upbringing, her induction to the sport, I think many of you would be surprised to know that Karen's not just a tremendous athlete, but she's also a, a uh, two-sport collegiate athlete at Princeton University. Anyway, sit down, enjoy, and welcome Karen Smyers. Host Sam Piccolotti of NZD Fit, the No Zero Days Life, coming to you today with a new podcast and a special guest, part of the Legend series of sport that we've been working on and. I'm super excited to introduce today's guest to you, uh, Ms. Karen Smyers. Karen, uh, for many of you, it doesn't need a, a, uh, a background and and uh, and a bio, but I'm going to share one anyway. Karen's a Hall of Fame triathlete, coach, motivational speaker, and uh, event organizer, among many other things. Karen Smyers competed as a professional triathlete for 30 years. In her lengthy career, she won seven national and four World Championship titles, including a very dramatic come from behind victory in the Hawaiian Ironman World Championship in 1995. We're gonna talk about that one. You guys can find that on YouTube. uh, I remember watching that event, pretty exciting finish. Her victory at short course ITU Triathlon World Championship just five weeks later still earns her the distinction of being the only woman to ever win triathlons two most prestigious races in the same year. I remember that year. Subsequently, she endured the challenges of several hamstr- of severed hamstring uh, muscle by a broken glass. Uh, that, that was a crazy incident, Karen. We'll, we'll have to explain to the folks what happened there. Um, uh, and uh, a timeout for the birth of your daughter a knocked down by an 18-wheeler while cycling in a battle with thyroid cancer, which prompted Sports Illustrated Magazine to name her the triathlete most likely to be eaten by a shark in Sydney. Instead, she came back to win her seventh elite national championship title in August 2001, just a week shy of her 40th birthday. Karen was honored uh, and by her induction into the USA Triathlon International Triathlon Union's Hall of Fame in both her inaugural years in May 2020. Karen has the honor of serving as a women's coach of Team USA for the inaugural Collins Cup, an event modeled after the uh, Golf's rider Cup to bring professional triathlon to a n- new level of notoriety and value. And currently Karen uh, shares her experience, optimism, passion facing uh, as racing with a, as a coach and motivational speaker, a race organizer and her newly launched company, Galveon Racing. Very cool, we'll talk about that. She has spearheaded the all-volunteer managed Lincoln Kids Triathlon for the past 17 years. I'm guessing that's in Massachusetts? Yes, that that's, is. That's my yeah, hometown. Yep. Yeah, very cool. And a 1983 graduate of Princeton University, uh, still living in in Lincoln, Mass, with her daughter Jenner, son Casey, and husband and frequent training partner Michael King, who I think is in the other room, on the trainer now. Is that right?
1: <laughs> he is. He's uh, <laughs> he's on uh, one of our two compy trainers that we got back in 1998. So um, he hasn't been racing so much lately, but he's still uh, he's still getting on the bike and running. He That's hasn't great. touched the water since his last triathlon, which was pretty much when my son was born, and my son's uh 16 now, so <laughs> oh, <yeah>. easy math. <laughs> That's
0: funny, uh, Karen. So uh, you know, I thought we'd we'd start by maybe just giving the folks and, and myself, if you don't mind, a little background on your upbringing. Uh, I know you I know you reside in the Upper the northeast uh, today, but were you born and raised in that in that area?
1: Uh, no, I was, uh, well, I was actually born in Cory, Pennsylvania, um, but moved to Dayton, Ohio for a few years. Um, and, but mostly I consider my hometown as Weathersfield, Connecticut. I moved there just before kindergarten and was there all the way through high school. And my um, parents still live there. So I uh, go back to Weathersfield pretty frequently and uh, went to Weathersfield High School. And um, yeah, it was a, a really nice town to grow up in had um, six siblings, so seven of us total, uh, plus the addition of a a cousin that came to live with us for a few years. So we had a very full household and uh, I think it honed my competitive spirit (laughs) from a young age. Um, All of my brothers and sisters were uh, involved in sports and um, I was right in the middle. There were three older and three younger, Um, but for sure my um, older brothers and sisters, when they started to do swim team and gymnastics and tennis, everything that they did, I'm like, I'm gonna do, gonna do that too. And I would, you know, join and try and keep up. So um, I think that really, first of all, you know, my parents were great about um, encouraging us to do different sports and shuttling us around when when possible. Although back in those days we were a lot more self-sufficient. I um, I remember biking to and from gymnastics practice, tennis practice, swim team practice. <laughs> so um, we got a lot of exercise back in those days for sure. Just getting around
0: to sport to sport. Oh, I know it's uh, very different. Your parents can cut you loose in the morning and, and uh, as long as you were home by supper, you were in good shape. And uh, sure enough, there was a, there was a side door open, somebody's house that would feed you if you, yeah.
1: So
0: uh, I heard, I heard swimming. I heard tennis mentioned. Uh, did, did I'm just kind of curious how you got into the sport of triathlon? Did it begin from a swimming background or a running background?
1: That definitely helped. Um, you know, I, I basically my raison d'être as a kid was to be involved in a sport. I just I found early on that I just loved doing athletic things, and uh, you know, I, it started with. I swear my my dad, we had a little jungle gym at home and I, I can't remember how old, I probably was maybe six when this was happening but um, I remember my brother was doing some chin-ups on the jungle gym and um, my dad was, um, he, he said, oh, you can do three, you know, well, I can do four. And he's like, I'll always do one more than you, Greg. And, uh, and so the rest of us kind of got interested in this little competition. And so we all started trying to do one more than my dad had just done because he had <laughs> promised he could always do one more. And, you know, it turned into this, you know, thing that my dad, of was not prepared to deal with because there were all of us that were very motivated and young and um so i think that was the type of thing that you know got me kind of uh excited and about sports and competition early on um but uh it was through high school i i did swimming and um i did gymnastics in the winter and i did tennis in the spring um on the high school team and um At the time, I remember gymnastics that my swim coach kept saying, Karen, you know, give up gymnastics. It's not helping your swimming. Um, Swimming was by far my best sport. And I would do that year round, but I would still do gymnastics, you know, after school and then head to swim practice in the evening. Um, Sometimes I did double swim practices and a gymnastics practice in one day, which was I don't know where I got the energy, but um, I guess it, it prepared me for the uh, you know multiple workouts in a day kind of thing later in life. Um, but I just didn't want to quit. I just I loved being on part of a school team. I like the camaraderie of a different sport. Um, and I just didn't want to specialize back then. And I'm, I'm really glad that I didn't because I think uh, kind of a recipe for burnout is specializing too early. Um, when I got to college, though, I really was only competitive enough to be in one sport uh, in swimming really. And so um, that kind of helped me get into Princeton and um, I focused on on swimming, but even <laughs> when swimming ran out in, you know, we'd go through like March, depending on whether you made the nationals or not. And um, the first freshman year I found myself like, okay, now swimming's over. What am I gonna do for the next few months? And um, my, my uh, roommate was on the track team And she's like, "You got to try spring track." And we had done a little bit of running for preseason practice for swimming, and it gave me the idea that I liked running quite a bit. I was one of the better runners of the swimmers, which I later discovered isn't saying much. But at the time, I'm like, I ran the whole way without stopping, and these other swimmers had to stop and walk. You know, (laughs) but um, so I I walked onto the the track team, and uh, I remember going to to the track coach the first time and and telling him, you know, uh, I'm a swimmer, but I'd really like to try and run like the mile or something. And he's like, okay, well, you know, how much are you running? And I was like, I'm up to three miles without stopping. I remember, you know, emphasizing the without stopping because all of my, a lot of the swimmers had to walk some and he kind of suppressed a chuckle and is like, okay, well, great, great. You know, well, why don't you build up to an hour of running and then you can start coming to practice and you know like an hour straight oh my god you know I was like okay okay that's what I have to do so I started adding on 10-15 minutes to my runs and immediately everything in my body started to protest you know from the neck down um, my hips hurt my knees hurt my ankles hurt you know and uh, I finally went back to him at about you know I'm at about 40 or 45 minutes of running and I'm like I just don't know if I can build up to 60 minutes. Why do I have to do that if I only want to run a mile? And um, and he's like, uh, you know what? Here, why don't you join in these uh, hill repeats with these girls um, uh, for today's workout and we'll see how you do. And immediately he saw that I had great, you know, kind of aerobic capacity and um, that I could kind of keep up um, with some of the runners, not all of them for sure. Um, but he's like, all right, why don't you start coming to practice? You know, we'll build up the base gradually as we go and uh, so it was a good learning experience kind of for both of us you know he was a little bit new to someone just kind of picking up running that already had a pretty good aerobic base Mm -hmm. Um, and I ended up um, you know kind of gave me my love for running um, and also taught me about the importance of kind of taking it slow and um, accustoming my body to (laughs) fighting gravity when it hadn't for so long.
0: Not that you weren't used to training, it's just an entirely different type. Yeah,
1: of yeah, yeah, for sure.
0: So what, what year of school was this?
1: Well, that was freshman year. Freshman and year, so okay. I would, but it was only the spring season of running, you know, most of the runners would do three seasons. So they would, um, well, not everybody did cross country, but, you know, the endurance runners would do cross country, winter track, spring track. Um, and I only ever did spring because I stuck with the swimming in the fall and the winter.
0: So um, you were you were a multi-sport uh, athlete in, at Prince.
1: I was, yeah, yeah. For,
0: for how, how many years?
1: Um, I did three out of the four. To be honest, my senior year, um, I intended to continue, but um, <laughs> I think I was a little overwhelmed with to write a thesis, and um, that was due, you know, uh, in the spring of senior year, and um, I was a little behind, and and also there was a lot of fun things going on senior can't, year that I can't
0: imagine you were you were behind competing in two sports while while also (laughs) going to school. So, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously this speaks to, uh, you know, a lot of of inherent talent and drive. Um, What were you studying?
1: Uh, I was an economics major, uh, kind of, uh, just not with any real purpose, to be honest, but it just seemed like I was taking a variety of courses that all sort of fit the bill. So I had really no big idea what I was gonna do when I got out. Um, to be honest, I was more concerned with how am I going to keep doing a sport when I graduate? So I, you know, I had no illusions that I was, I was not good enough in swimming to, um, to continue on and try and like make an Olympic team or something. Um, I barely made it to nationals and that was only on relay. Um, although it was uh, ironic that I ended up being an all American because I was on a really good relay team. (laughs) So, um,
0: Were you more of a sprinter than a distance swimmer? No,
1: I was more of a distance swimmer, but, um, but I wasn't a freestyler. So I did like 200 and 400 IM. Um, but I, I was also a breaststroker. So I did the hundred breasts on our 400 medley relay. And, um, yeah, it was mostly because our star breaststroker got hurt doing a, ironically running has helped me in a lot of ways, but, uh, we once um, pre-season, our swim coach decided as a little motivation and something different that we would train for the, um, Bonnie Bell 10 K in Boston, which was, um, it later became Tufts 10 K. Um, and it was, you know, just kind of this iconic all women's race and, um, the Harvard women's swim team, she talked to their coach and they decided to train for it too. So we went up and we stayed with their team at Harvard and then all went and did this fun 10 K, um, in the fall. And, uh, so our, our star breaststroker ended up getting hurt, like twisting an ankle during that race. And that gave me all of a sudden this birth onto the, uh, Avery team. <laughs> so, yeah, but, but that, that was my first running race ever. And, um, you know, I, I really liked it. It was just so fun being a part of this huge group of women. I was, you know, way back in the pack, but did, you know, pretty well for, uh, for a swimmer. And yeah. Um, and yeah, that I knew when I got out that I was gonna wanna do more of that kind of thing. And, and sure. to be honest, I never, I never finished uh, answering your question about how I got into triathlon. What yeah. after we graduated, um, that same roommate that had kind of gotten me into running, she decided um, the summer after we graduated, she had heard about this tri, she lived in Boston and she heard about this Bud Light Boston triathlon that had prize money and she was a runner and she had swum was a lifeguard and stuff so she had swim background and um she was also pretty strong on the bike she had a bike that she would play around on so she decided to train for this triathlon instead of getting a summer job because she thought she might actually earn more money um at the race than she could at a summer job and uh I kind of watched with interest. I actually moved to Boston with her and a couple other college friends and she ended up uh, placing in the money. And, um, I was like, wow, that is so cool. And what a great sport. And I want to try that too. So we started to train a little bit together and go to some races in the Boston area. And, um, yeah, one thing led to another. I certainly just started it as a hobby, as a way to kind of keep my, I knew I could keep my swimming going a little bit. So I, didn't turn into mush in that regard and so this um, was what, ni- 1984,
0: 1984
1: well, yeah we got yeah. graduated in 83 I did my first race in 84 yeah yeah, um, uh, yeah amazing. and as a matter of fact at the end of that year uh kind of uh, funny story um I did the same Bud Light race that she had done in 83 and um in the race I finished second and um they called up a different person for the prize money. Um, and so at, during the awards, I was like, huh, why didn't they call me up for that? And I, they called me up for like a, an age group award, um, but I didn't really know the difference at the time. And I went up to the race director after and said, geez, you know, I think I beat that girl that you gave the second place prize money to. Like, how come I didn't get that? And He's like, oh, well, you didn't enter in the professional category. And I was like, well, how do you enter in the professional category? he's like well next time on the entry form just check the box that says pro (laughs) and i'm like oh okay (laughs) and so that's how i turned pro that's how easy it was back in (laughs)
0: yeah
1: it was basically just if you wanted to sure go for it you know
0: i you know you mentioned the the bud light uh sponsorship and and it just reminded me that they were kind of at the helm at least from my lemonade experience back east and that period of time too, sponsoring races and and um yeah it was it was an interesting time i can recall and, and i know you are familiar with that Wilkesbury triathlon that is uh is is in sure. Pennsylvania. love and, that race Yep. yeah and it was our hometown race and and then ironman uh qualifier uh for a number of years during that bud light series but That's I, right. I can remember years where people would would get uh you know would would win or earn a spot at kona and they would say nah i don't, I don't want to ha- hand Definitely. it up to somebody yeah. else right next to them you know yeah if you were doing an olympic distance race you know
1: it could be the last thing on your radar that you would want to do an iron man you know right. yeah um i remember that well yeah
0: yeah well that, uh you know for the listeners that's where uh, i had the opportunity to first uh, really meet you and I've, I've seen you compete there and Wilkesbury uh, very a number of times it was a pretty iconic race back in the day we had the pleasure uh, for for that area to be able to see a number of high-performing athletes i remember lance armstrong coming through there at um uh, he might have been just 16 years of age or something yeah yeah and 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 winning so yeah great great period of time but in those you know, what days, a-
1: Oh, well, I was just going to mention it just because this is one of my favorite memories of the wilkes Bear race was one year it was um, pouring rain and pretty cold. And um, I remember one person doing the entire bike with their wetsuit on. <laughs> it was one of the <laughs> older athletes. And I was like, that's awesome. <laughs> and it's not an easy bike ride. You know, there's the hills no. and everything, but that was, that was how they were going to get through it. You know?
0: Yeah. Um, now, did you, race both the olympic and the and the half distance when they had it there
1: i did not ever do a half distance there as a matter of fact i didn't even know they had one
0: yeah for Um, a limited time they had a longer distance uh yeah and I, i think that's what they actually called it then too long course uh you know i don't i don't believe half ironman was even you know, a, a known a name, yeah. Title yeah. or verbiage, yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, p- probably when I I say that I had to check off the pro box on the entry form, people don't realize that the only way you could enter races was a paper entry form back then too. Right. <laughs> you know, and you would right. you would get them in the mail. You know, you'd have to ask the race director to send you a, an entry form. You'd wait for it to come in the mail, then you'd fill it out and you'd mail it yeah. back. And you know, it was a very different process than it is now.
0: No doubt. So. 84, you got your first bite of triathlon and, and, uh, and then had started checking the box pro, uh, at at what point did, did the racing, did triathlon racing really become a focus for you then?
1: So, you know, once I realized, like, oh, well, I, I can compete in this pro category, but, you know, this was, you know, for the few people that would um, come to the New England area, there weren't that many professionals in, my, in our area. So I didn't really get to race against the best people very often. Um, But I still, you know, I started getting more and more interested in doing well and started getting the triathlete magazines and reading about these uh, um, other pros and um, their lifestyle. And I was pretty um, just mesmerized by it all. Um, But at the time, I was still working full time, I worked for a computer consulting company. Um, Right in Boston, and you know, I would I I managed to fit in training. You know, I I'd use my lunch hour to go over and swim um, at a pool. Usually, be a lunch hour and a half (laughs) rather than an hour, but who's counting? Um, And then I would usually um, work out after after um, work. I'd go to a track practice with a running club that I joined, and. The one thing that I didn't get much in was the biking. So I would say that held me back quite a bit, um, that it was my weakness for sure. Cause I had no background in it and, um, it was harder to fit in when you had a full-time job. So on the weekends, you know, I'd try and do something, but I also had no idea what I was doing when training for biking. So I, I saw some, um, improvement in the, uh, first four or five years, um, and one big race that I had that I did well was the Bay state triathlon uh, was one of the bigger races around here that had some prize money. It was also an iron man qualifier. And, uh, in 85, I won that race and there were a couple people like Colleen cannon and oh, I think yeah. Beth Mitchell and, um, and a really big name was Allison Rowe, who had won the Boston marathon. <clears throat> and she, um, I actually outran her. Like we were running together for a while on the run. And then I dropped her. It was a a 10 mile run course, I believe. And, um, so that was like this, you know, huge thing, like you just beat Alvin Rowe on the run. (laughs) And, uh, so that gave me like a, a huge kind of boost in, in, um, confidence and sort of dreams for the future i guess um but i would go to like the big races like hilton head was the national championship um and i didn't do all that well i i tended to get there and sort of be overwhelmed with nerves and never quite rise to the occasion um the first few years i'd get killed on the bike usually like i just could not keep up to the top people on the bike um But uh, what turned it around for me was in 1989, the company I worked for decided to go on halftime. Nothing to do with my hour and a half lunches, (laughs) but (laughs) we weren't doing that well financially. So they cut back on our um, time and I was able to spend the rest, uh, the extra time biking. I decided like, if I wanna be a triathlete, you've gotta start making biking your priority to get better. And um, so I started um, just making that the first workout I would do of the day and, um, and gradually I started getting a little bit better by putting in a little more time. Um,
0: and all this training was, yeah, I mean, you, you were coming up with these programs on your own. You, you yeah. Yeah. No you coaching
1: whatsoever. There. Yep. Um, you know, I had, I had, had coaching in swimming and running because, um, of having, you know, done it in college. Yeah. Uh, and I did join a running club in Boston, which was kind of, uh, we ran hard and drank hard. (laughs) It was, it was as much of a social as anything, but, um, but it was fun because we had other, you know, I had other fast people and then people that love to go to road races. So I got a lot of running races in, which really helped my running. Um, I love doing, you know, 10 K's and five K's and I did my first half marathon and stuff like that. Uh, and actually during this time, I also, um, a few, uh, women, got excited about trying to make it to the, the, so the first Olympic trials in the marathon was held in 84. And um, uh, one of my friends ran in that and um, she was kind of a new acquaintance at the time. But after that, a bunch of women are like, let's try and qualify for 88. And I got kind of swept into that little group and uh, ended up running my first marathon in 87 and qualifying for olympic trials so no kidding after i your, ran in, your
0: first race
1: yeah yeah well i i yeah i had that as a goal
0: <laughs> um, do, you, do, you, do you recall what your finish time was then
1: uh it was a 248 and this uh. was or or two no 247 this was at um the san diego um marathon um and uh Yeah, the qualifying time at the time was 250. So I made it in. And um, and then the next marathon of the that was in December of eighty-seven. And so the marathon trials were in May of 88. So I ran the trials as well. Um leading up to that, I I had my first experience with um iron deficiency. So I think running all that was the first time I'd run that many miles. Um, you know, this so it took me what, so in eighty. Uh, yeah. Remember when I couldn't run over three miles without having yeah. to walk. <laughs> so, just four, just you know, four
0: years earlier, right?
1: Well, that was, I graduated in 83. So it was probably more like 1980 that I was having trouble. So yeah, in seven years, it took me to build up to marathon distance, which I think that's reasonable. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. and, um, so, but anyway, yeah, I was very iron deficient before the trials and, um, few people are like, you shouldn't even run. Like I was really struggling with my just running out of air when I would try to push myself. Um, but luckily I got it diagnosed and got some um, six weeks or something of iron in me and felt much, much better by the time I got to the race. And um, I ended up running a 242, which I was thrilled wow. with because wow. I really went in thinking, I'm just gonna run this for fun, for the experience, not knowing how I'd feel. Um, and I ended up feeling really, really good and um, having a blast. Um, That's so yeah
0: uh was that your best marathon time?
1: Um, well, up until I think 2015, the only other time I ran a marathon was during an Ironman. <laughs> so, yes, it was. <laughs> right. I, I never managed to run faster than 242 during an Ironman. <laughs>
0: Not to be outdone. I I just
1: never after I started doing triathlon more seriously. So in 89, um, when we went on halftime and I started to get better, it it also happened to correspond with when um, the first ever ITU World Championships were being held. And so in 89, I had heard, you know, they're going to be this national team that you get to go to Avignon, France to race. And um, I was like, that's so cool. I want to go. And we're going to be six women, six men for the pro team. And there were three qualifying races, and I made that my goal to try and make the team. And um I really kind of bombed in the first two races. Well, not bombed, but I didn't come close to making the team. You had to be top two. And I think I was, you know, sixth or seventh in the first race and fifth or something in the next one. And so it came down to the third race. And I knew this was my last chance to qualify. And um I remember I, this was, you know, I was still struggling with my bike to get it better. And the same thing would always happen. I'd, I'd be with the leaders in the swim during the bike. One by one, people would go by me and open up a gap. And then on the run, I'd be able to run a few people down, but not always enough to get into the top three. And um, so in this race, I remember just so clearly at one point during the bike, um, all these people had started to go by me And I just was getting so down on myself, like, you know, geez, you're not going to make this team. You stink. You, your biking is just the worst. What's wrong with you? And just this negative kind of spiral. And, um, and I made the decision in the middle of the bike. I'm like, you know what? You just weren't meant to be a triathlete. Just, you know, finish this race, the best of your ability, because you're not going to give up in the middle of something. So just finish this strong and then you can throw the bike away and, um, and just be a runner. And uh, um, I was like, ah, good. I feel better now. And so I just kind of finished the bike with no pressure. And um, I started the run and I'm like, oh, I have good legs for the run. I feel good today. And I'm running along passing a couple people. And I'd stopped counting like every other race. I was like, all right, now I'm in third, now I'm in fourth, now I'm in sixth, you know, I've got to catch all those people. And so this time I hadn't even counted and I started to pass a few people. And next thing I know, I see like a motorcycle on the road ahead next to a girl. It was Jan Ripple. And I was like, "Huh, what's that motorcycle doing in the middle of the course?" And uh, as I got a little closer, I'm like, "Oh my god, that's that's Jan Ripple. That's that's the lead motorcycle. Oh my god!" And I I was able to run up and catch her and win the race. And I'm like, "I love triathlon. I love my bike."
0: <laughs> well, well, you know, I mean, it, uh, we've all been there, right? When yeah, the,
1: well, it's funny. I, you know, what I high. I really take away from that was. I was putting so much pressure on myself for this outcome that I wanted that I was completely like skipping the process, you know, of having to just focus on the moment, doing the best you can. And once I let go of the outcome and the, you know, um, that overwhelming anxiety about not getting the result I wanted, it, everything fell into place, you know?
0: Yeah, that's, that's a great testament. I, and, you know, you, you hear it, it's hard to remind yourself yeah when you're in those moments right Mm -hmm. um but i I imagine that that experience while i hear it in your in your in your voice but i would imagine that 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 carried with you for a long time in your career and and gave you another level of maturity from an athletic standpoint right yeah
1: that you know good things come to those that just keep pushing you know like and uh um yeah, just to, to never give up, even in the middle of a race when things are looking ugly. And you know, I, I that's one I think of the, um, the things I'm probably most proud of <laughs> is that um, even on races where you know it's easy when you're winning or doing really well to stay motivated, but continuing to like not give up and and not just you know mail it in and walk home. Um, is really difficult. And, uh, um, but I think that's the thing that gives you the breakthroughs, you know, cause especially at a race, like an iron man, you're always going to have these tough moments where you're like, Oh my God, I feel so awful. I don't think I'm going to be able to continue, or I'm not going to be able to, to hit the time I wanted or the, beat the people I wanted or whatever. So just being able to weather those moments and just say, well, it doesn't matter how bad you're doing or how bad you feel, you're going to keep going to the best of your ability. And that's all you can ask, (laughs) you know? And I think that mentality of, you know, you don't only finish the race when you're doing well um, is, is, it makes you just that much mentally tougher.
0: (laughs) Uh, No no doubt. And And as you well know, you know, it, it translates to so many other aspects of your life. Right. Oh, sure. You know, learning, learning those, you know, this mental toughness uh, skills, if you will, from, from a physical standpoint, I think I've often said, like, we, we know that we know the power that the, the mind can have over the body, but I think we underestimate uh, the ability for the body, a strong, with a strong body to build a strong mind. You know, there's sure. a yin yang, Uh, principle there at work that Mm -hmm. I I don't think we can ignore. You you don't sit on a couch and, and get mentally tough.
1: Yeah, no, I know. That's what people are like, well, Oh, what do you do for, you know, mental training? And I'm like, I train <laughs> and I push through the tough right. spots, you know, and point. if it's uh, raining and, you know, not ideal weather, you learn how to make do. And, um, you know, if you're having a bad day, you learn how to, you know, bounce back or, um, yeah, all those things. Definitely it's Just simple
0: things like that. You know, you mentioned the rain and I, we don't get a lot of it. Uh, out here in Colorado, but I've certainly had my share back East in Pennsylvania. And, uh, and s- some of the most enjoyable training days I've had was when I just, you know, let go, uh, stopped fighting the fact that I didn't have perfect weather conditions and just absorb the element of, <laughs> you know, of the rain in the day, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So you, you certainly haven't been without your challenges. I, I, I want to ask, You know, Sports Illustrated's uh, reference to uh, the triathlete most likely to be eaten by a shark. (laughs) Uh, Tell us a little bit about that.
1: Uh, So that was leading into um, 2000 Sydney. So um, triathlon was in the Olympics for the very first time in 2000. And um, I had had a series of accidents and illnesses leading in in a fairly short period of time. Um, And I was, you know, I was a... probably a favorite, um, at least earlier in my career. (laughs) So I had won the nationals, you know, through the, throughout the nineties, um, seven, seven times I think. And, um, but in 1997, I had had um, my first accident, which was, I was changing a storm window that was in the back of my house. Um, and it was, it was an outdoor storm that was sort of homemade. And, um, I, it was, June, So I, it was like, I got to get the storm window down. We need to open the windows. And um, I went out back to, it was, you know, good size, like two and a half feet by three feet or something. And we had it clipped in and was kind of a homemade. So it didn't have a real stiff frame. And I still to this day, don't know why, but um, when I lifted it out, it cracked while it was over my head. And all of a sudden glass was just falling out of the frame all around me. And I, put my arm up just instinctively to kind of block it from my face and neck. Thank God I did, because I got a shard right in my um, forearm that, you know, could have cut an artery if it had hit the right way in my neck. And, um, but one shard caught the back of my leg and went through my hamstring. And uh, I was home alone at the time. And I looked down and saw the insides of my legs and just thought, oh my God, before you pass out from fear or, or maybe blood loss, call 911. And I managed to hobble in the house, call 911. And uh, luckily I didn't pass out. It was, uh, I hadn't gotten an artery, thank God. Um, but um, when they took me to the emergency room and decided to kind of put me under while they cleaned it up, um, I woke up in the, uh, the next, uh, from my anesthesia with a cast um, from ankle to hip, um, cause they decided to repair my hamstring. And um, the guy was very apologetic. I'm sorry, I didn't know whether I should repair it. You can get by with, you know, just three of the hamstrings instead of four, because there's like four different muscles. And uh, I'm like, no, no, I want them all. That you did the right so, thing. So, so <laughs> but
0: that, that uh, strand of muscle was completely severed.
1: Yeah, the biceps femoris muscle I've was. Femoris, so yeah. there are there are four. Yeah, I think four. Yeah. Anyway, so um, I was supposed to be on a plane the next day flying to Europe to do a World Cup race in Monte Carlo, followed by an Ironman in Germany, the Roth race. And um, unfortunately, uh, yeah, I had to cancel that trip. And unfortunately, again, for me especially, this is what... twisted the knife a little was, um, I, I do not like Ironman training that much. Like the training is such a chore for me, um, mentally as well as physically. And, uh, I had done all the training, you know, I was just ready to start tapering and do the, with this world cup race. And then I love tapering by the way. And, um, (laughs) so I was like, Oh God, all that training and I don't get to use it for anything. Um, but as I've told many of the people I coach, um, The training, you know, even if you don't get to race, the training's in the bank, and it does build. You know, it's an investment, and even if you don't get to use it right then, um, it's it's still something that you can draw on in the future. So I I do feel like another
0: brick in the foundation. Yeah,
1: for sure. Yep. And
0: um, so So that is disappointing, but yeah. So that I mean, that was pretty nasty injury, and uh,
1: just a fluke, you know, really. So I couldn't, I couldn't, I, I just, you know. I was like, all right, that was dumb. Why were you doing that in June right before you were getting on a plane? But, you know, I didn't think of it as risky behavior or anything.
0: How long, um, uh, how long did that set you back?
1: So they said it was going to be a, a sixth, uh, six to eight month rehab, I think. Wow. And, you know, this is June. And I'm like, oh, God, what am I going to do with myself now? Um, and um, so my husband and I decided we'd been talking a little bit about this. It was... Uh, um, see how old was I then like 34 or 5 and um we decided uh that we'd been wanting to start a family and maybe a 6 month rehab and a 9 month maternity leave was actually not a bad uh lay uh you know use of time so we got to work and uh um I was lucky enough to conceive pretty early on and um my daughter was born in May so it was nice because we were able to uh I was able to kind of combine uh, my maternity leave with my rehab and um, yeah not waste a whole lot of time. And, you know, part of the idea was like, yeah, huh, you know, if I, we have a kid now, I'll have a, a few years to build still towards trying to make an Olympic team and um, uh, all's well. And yeah. so um, I definitely intended to come back to racing again. Um, and so 98, when she was born in May, I started getting back into um, shape and um, did a couple short races and um, unfortunately, I decided to go back to Ironman that year. So in August, I was out doing a, a kind of longish ride with a buddy. And uh, at the end of that ride, we were doing so well that I added on an extra little loop to make sure we got in um, the full distance. And uh, on that extra loop, I was um, going down a hill an 18-wheeler, was trying to pass. I didn't think he had, he could pass. to pass, you. pass. Yeah, so he was going the same direction as me and uh, we were going down this curvy hill and I, I was aware he was behind me. And to be honest, I was like, oh, he can't pass here because he can't possibly see around the corner enough to know it's safe. So I'm going to go as fast as I can. So I don't hold him up. That, that was totally my thinking is like, I know he's probably impatient. Let's get through this quickly yeah. so that then he can go by me. So I was going down these curves on my arrow bars. And um, before I realized what was happening, he had pulled up to try and go by me, but he pulled up so close that I was like hanging on by a thread to the shoulder without going off road. Yeah. And I was stuck on my arrow bars cause I did not have the courage to move to my brakes because he was so close. I felt like that one moment of letting go of my arrow bars could get me under his wheel. And so I was hanging on for dear life, just going, "Please get by me, please get by me fast, so I can break." And um, and then I could see up ahead that there was a a car. Well, actually, I didn't see the car. I saw his front wheels move over towards the um, shoulder, and yeah. his back end just knocked me um, off onto the off road. So he didn't run me over, but he knocked me off the road, and I stayed upright for about, you know two or three seconds, I had, uh, I was still upright and I tried to jump back into the road after he'd gone by, but I was completely out of control at that point. Cause I'd hit, you know, it was, uh, it was rough road. And so I crashed on the pavement and slid down the pavement for, I don't know how many feet. Um, and I remember very clearly being in the air and knowing I was gonna fall and then I was gonna land kind of on my back and shoulder. And I remember thinking, oh, you're supposed to try and roll to absorb the impact. And I remember landing and going, that wasn't a roll. Like, you know, where, where's your gymnastic skills now? But I, uh, I landed on my uh, um, ribs. So I, I broke six ribs, um, had a lung contusion because a rib banged into my lung, uh, separated a shoulder um luckily my helmet did its job so i uh, broke the helmet but i did not get a concussion or anything um but uh you know probably the, the more lasting injury from that was the, the real fear of biking in traffic for a while you know anytime i heard a truck motor um it was just a exercise in willpower to stay on my bike um for a long time after that
0: yeah and this was uh what year
1: So this was, um, in August of 98. Yeah. And, um, so that was, yeah, kind of a second thing. Um, you know, I was out for the rest of that season obviously couldn't go to Ironman that year, but I, I was back doing everything by 99, um, beginning of 99. I, I knew it was the important year for qualifying for the Olympics that I had to get my world ranking back up. Um, Mm -hmm. because in order to even go to the trials, I had to do a bunch of world cup races to bring my ranking up. So, I started out kind of early in 99, get into some world cup races and, and gradually raced my way back into, um, the thick of things and, um, qualified for the trials. And, um, so probably right around then was when sports illustrated. Oh no, wait, I had one more thing. That's right. So by yeah, the end of 99, um, I went back to Ironman that year and, um, but right before Ironman, I had a weird like kind of bronchitis thing and I went to the doctor for and while I was in there I just mentioned like you know the front of my throat looks awfully uh kind of thick do you do you think it looks thick like as if there's something swollen in there and he took a a feel around he's like you know that's your uh, thyroid and yeah it does seem pretty enlarged um Mm -hmm. just to you know make me happy why don't you go get an ultrasound just make sure there's nothing going on So I went for this ultrasound, just thinking I was keeping my doctor happy. And the technician, after he did it, I was like, do you see anything? And he's like, well, you got a bunch of nodules. And I said, well, what does that mean? He's like, oh, it probably means you have thyroid cancer. I'm like, what? Um, So um, I, that, you know, one thing kind of led to um, the fact that I probably had this. And I talked to um, uh, my doctor who, Said, yeah, you're going to need a biopsy to confirm. And I was like, you know, I'm going to Ironman in like three weeks. And do I have to do this right away? <laughs> and he's like, you know, it's a very slow growing cancer. You know, if you have it, there's definitely treatments. You know, it's not going to change in a few weeks um, what the treatment would be or your outcome. So, um, you can wait if you want, you know, it's up to you. And I talked to my husband, we decided to wait to find out until after the Ironman. So I could focus on one thing at a time. So I went back to Hawaii that year, finished second. I had a great race, you know, having been out for a couple of years. Um, I felt like I raced as well as I could have, um, for my condition, Lori Bowden, um, that year passed me on the run and had to, and broke three hours for the first time. So, you know, I was wow. happy that someone had to break a record to, uh, to beat yeah. me. Yeah. And, um, so I was quite thrilled, uh, at the end of that race, I remember thinking when I finished, oh, that's right. I might have cancer. I'm like, Oh my God, now I have to take care of this. <laughs> I'm like this can't be, I just finished second in the Ironman. There's no way. Um, but I had also, uh, talked my doctor into like letting me do one other race. So right after Hawaii, I flew to Mexico for one more. Um, it wasn't a world cup, but a, um, yeah, it was like a points race that I could, um, add onto my ranking and draft legal that, you know, the race had sort of, uh, switched to, to draft legal racing. And, um, during that race another fluke accident i'm riding in the pack and um the girl in front of me we we were about to go up a steep hill so we all kind of stood to kind of surge up the hill and stay with the group and as she stood her foot fell out of her pet her um her whole pedal came out of her crank oh. and unscrewed so she when you she went to step down she went right down and fell and i had no time i was you know, drafting so i i fell right over top of her and i landed i did i did finally do a somersault <laughs> unfortunately i landed on my other shoulder and broke my collarbone oh. um and so this was like uh november of 99 and uh, I flew home, got the eye biopsy the next day, um, which said that I do have cancer. And so um, I realized I had to have a thyroidectomy, have my whole thyroid removed, and then have a radiation treatment to, to kind of treat the, um, um, any leftover thyroid cells. So this was all happening, you know, end of 99 Olympic trials are in May of 2000. And, um, all of a sudden I'm out of the water for six weeks with the collarbone break plus a, a, a surgery for
0: for removing a thyroid and a a toddler at home, right?
1: Yep. 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 That too. So, um, anyway, that is why uh, sports illustrated, um, (laughs) they, so I, you know, as I was still trying to make an Olympic team, my story got a lot of kind of traction and interest because um um here I was you know battling all these things and um trying to come back in time so with you know with build up the olympics are always looking for good stories so all of a sudden I'm on you know world news tonight with Peter Jennings and uh, <laughs> like all these okay. people I would know you know I'd won the Ironman I never got anybody talking to me about this stuff or I'd already won you know three or four world championships and you know hadn't really gone beyond the uh triathlete magazines of the world so it was very interesting to all of a sudden have um different people interested in my story but um for all the wrong reasons in a way so but the uh you know the the really ironic part was that um they named me the triathlete most likely to be get eaten by a shark in sydney but then i never ended up qualifying for the olympics (laughs) so i gave it my best shot but um yeah it just was not perfect timing for me and um
0: but you you had you had an incredible career I, I just looking back, so seven you were right. it was seven national uh, titles and and four world championships were they were they four uh, Ironman wins?
1: No, no, so um two of them were ITU um, world championships. And this was, you know, before there was an Olympic. So at the time when I I think in my resume, I say the two most prestigious races, which at the time Ironman and the ITU world championships at the Olympic distance were the two really, you know, known world championships, you know, since then we've added 70.3 that people think of as, you know, a a legit world championships, I guess. Um, And of course the Olympics now I would say is uh, higher in prestige than probably anything almost um maybe not iron man but remains yeah. to be seen you,
0: uh, you did have you did have a uh what a two-year uh title at at kona though is that right uh, only
1: one nope i yeah. i was um i finished uh just first the one time in 95 i finished second twice um 94 and 99 i finished third in 96 four yeah so
0: second three
1: Fifth
0: in nine in <laughs> two thousand and one. <laughs> that's awesome. So uh, two, second in ninety four, uh, chasing down Paula Newby Fraser at that time. I think she
1: yeah she Idle she 94. had my number many more and, times than I got hers. That's yeah. for sure.
0: <laughs> uh, but but you know as mentioned in um, you know in the intro that ninety five race was very dramatic. Uh, you know a great a great win for you. Uh, after a, uh, you know, know was seemed, seemed I'm sure from the crowd's perspective anyway that, uh, you know, Paula was favored again, but uh, she ended up, she ended up failing, uh, pretty terribly in that race, and uh, you had you had a great, you, you had overcome her in the run and and on, on that event, very dramatic finish. I was watching, you know, some of the uh, the footage on it, and 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 she she was just. She was very ill, but came back to get up on her feet and uh and cross the line as well. Uh so yeah. that that was a yeah, that was a, a very dramatic year. If folks wanna wanna watch something exciting, tune into 95. I think Mark Allen won uh won the race on the men's side that year.
1: He did. He also had a, a big come from behind. I think uh Paula was uh 11 and a half minutes ahead of me um or close to twelve. Um, starting the run. And he, I think was like 13 or 14 minutes behind starting the run. And both of us were, were able to come out ahead, um, to, to win the race, but, uh, his was less drama, drama
0: <laughs> yeah, it's his really competitor stayed on
1: his feet, <laughs> but yeah, that was, uh, Very it exciting was race quite a sure. race to be a part of with Paula. Yeah. Oh I mean, yeah. I wouldn't say so much. Yeah. She, uh, she definitely had some nutrition difficulties um during her race which uh it's really hard to watch you know after yeah. seeing her so dominant in some of the her other ironmans to see her just hanging on by a thread and then actually not hanging on by a thread yeah. at one you, point you never know how your collapse. body collapsed
0: it's it's just always so amazing i always think you know that to be able to get that kind of uh chemistry correct you know yeah uh, you know, well i think you know like-
1: It's funny if you hear her talk, you know, I I talk about that race a lot from my perspective, but I've heard her talk about it from her perspective several times. And, um, you know, everybody has a story and, uh, you know, sometimes you just don't know what goes into people's races. And she talks, it was really interesting to hear her talk about how she had won it so many times that people came to just expect it from her, you know, they'd be like, Oh, going to do it again, Paula. And, you know, she's like, well, I'm going to try, but it's, it's not easy, you know? (laughs) And, and I think it was a little, she thinks that there might've been a little bit inside her that was almost like trying to show people that how hard this is. She might've almost self-sabotaged a little bit in terms of the nutrition and um, and just, uh, you know, it was, I think that, yeah, the, her legacy was, was weighing on her a little bit or something. Yeah. Um, but what I, I really have um, the most admiration in the world that she came back. You know, she was supposed to retire the year I was racing her. And that was figuring into my story because I really knew it was my last chance to try and actually beat her. And if I didn't beat her, you know, I was just getting into Ironman then. It was my, This was my third Ironman ever and i had been fourth and then second and i was like okay the next logical step is to try and beat her and she you know still was beating me quite handily and um the first two times i'd raced her so um i was like this is my chance and then when she got that huge gap on the bike i was like ah oh, god you've blown it again you know <laughs> and, um and what was frustrating to me it was like i could i could beat her on the bike at the short course at like olympic distance and so like, why does she keep out biking me in the long distance? Like, I'm as tough as anybody. What's wrong with me? And so it was really um, kind of, uh, yeah. Uh,
0: were, were you being coached at this point now in your career? Still not. Nope. I was, oh, uh, you know,
1: I would I would pick people's brains a little bit. But to be honest, in some ways, it's probably a good thing that I wasn't um, immersed in what other people were doing because I've discovered that I'm not the type of person that can do lots and lots of mileage, um, mentally or physically. Um, I, I can do hard days, but then I kind of need an easy day afterwards. (laughs) Whenever I go to, you know, a camp or something where I do three or four or five hard days in a row, I'm a basket case on day three. Um, sometimes even day two and, um, you know, people that, you know, I think I'm as good as in, in racing, they can out-train me all the time, you know, if it's like day in and day out kind of stuff. And so, um, luckily I didn't really know what other people were doing, being kind of a little bit isolated in New England. I just kind of found something that seemed to be working for me. I definitely did my long bikes, long runs that um, I kept up some kind of hard stuff during the week that, because w- I was still racing Olympic distance. So I, I kind of um, liked to continue to do, you know, a track workout here and there, or a um, hard time trial bike, or at least keep the Olympic distance racing going, which kind of kept my speed. Um, and then I would add in kind of a longer brick workout midweek. And, but I, I was not into like, let's see if I can get up to 300 miles a week on the bike. You know, I was like, if you hit 200, that's good. <laughs> that's 50 more than you usually yeah.
0: do. <laughs> well, you have, you know, incredible intuition and, and insight into your, you know, into your own, uh, you know, well, physical we, abilities, right? We
1: kind of had to learn the hard way back then, you know, it's, uh, um, we did kind of train by trial and error, you know. Yeah. Um,
0: well, I can remember stories and uh, uh, Scott Tindley talking about, uh, you know, the incredible amount of, Hours and miles that you know you thought were necessary to compete yeah. level just
1: yeah know,
0: crazy you went you know more more is better right yeah Instead that's of what Boston. I said
1: like I'm glad I didn't know about that because <laughs> it would have messed with me a little bit that I would yeah. find out you know I was doing so much less um but I, I think it also helped my longevity you know um, that that's yeah. why I was able to race pro for thirty years you know. Um, and uh and not be completely burnt out by it so um,
0: and, and yeah you've, you've, you've had a phenomenal career 30 years of professional racing I, you know it's just remarkable um, and tell us a little bit about what what you're up to these days because I uh, I know you're um, you, you mentioned the zoom thing and and I think you're doing uh, some zoom classes for uh, for folks do you mind talking about that a little bit
1: Yeah, no, not at all. Um, So, you know, when the pandemic kind of shut things down in um, the Boston area, um, I had been coaching indoor bike classes um, since my son was born. So when I was pregnant, I realized I was gonna have to start supplementing my income because life as a pro is changing a little bit as I got older. So um, I started coaching and doing these indoor bike classes on comfort trainers. Um, But when the pandemic um, shut things down, Uh, all these people that loved coming to the winter classes, it was in March and they still wanted to be and it wasn't warm enough to really be outdoors yet. And I said, you know what, let's, if you have an indoor trainer, let's meet on Zoom. I'll coach the workout over Zoom. And, you know, I kind of just started it thinking just, it's something to get us through the spring. Um, or get us to the warmer weather. And, um, but as the pandemic kind of kept going, (laughs) we found that uh, people just begged me to keep them going because it was our, we weren't seeing people much, you know, everybody was kind of isolating. We went through a time where we didn't even want to bike outdoors with anybody. And uh, so it was our way of just kind of staying connected and um, yeah, keeping the kind of camaraderie together. So I've been doing them, um, you know, several a week ever since. Uh, it's been almost a year now, and um, you know, I've gradually gotten a few um, different people to join that have heard about it through various. Uh, um, other outlets. So, you know, I've got someone from Colorado that joins in. Occasionally I'll have people from, um, down South. And so anyway, it's a, uh, it's a nice group and I just do four classes a week and, um, you're on your own trainer. It's not like, uh, you know, as with kind of where you're controlled by, um, sure. the, um, you know, you're not hooked in your yeah. bike is independent and you control it. And I run the workout and, uh, you just set your resistance to Get the um, prescribed power or perceived exertion, and um, it's good. they're really good workouts. And uh, like I said, it's it's also good camaraderie. So
0: yeah, so you're on Zoom, and everybody's everybody's joined in in a in a virtual. Yeah, meeting. and
1: you can have any kind of trainer you want. You know, you that's you can awesome. have a, a, a smart trainer, or you can have just a random, you know, uh, magnetic one. Yeah, um, that's no cool. power and no cadence and no anything. <laughs>
0: That's pretty cool. So, you know, so the folks understand you, you don't need to be on, you know, on a fancy, uh, smart trainer, you know, a, attended to some software system. You're, you're on a virtual, uh, call and a meetup. Uh, you know, you have to com- you have the ability to have some conversation and chat. You can be riding your magnetic trainer, your fluid trainer, your rollers, if you'd like, yeah. uh, your, even probably a stationary bike. If, if, uh, it deemed fit. Are you, um,
1: Yeah. Some people do it on Peloton and, uh, yeah.
0: So if somebody were interested in joining in, how do they, how do they subscribe?
1: Um, so I, what I do is I, if you tell me you want to attend, I send out a zoom link the night before, um, the way you would tell me is, um, you could either, um, you go on my website, KarenSmyers.com, And there's a way for contact Karen. Um, if you send me an email that way, then I'll send you all the info about what days and times the classes are and um, and how you would join and um, any other little tidbits of information as far as setup that you might need to know. Um, and yeah, anybody's welcome. The other thing is I have I um, record them all so, if you want to see what it's all about first I can send you just a recording by um, and you can bike to the video and uh, with no pressure yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and see what it's all about and whether it's something you might want to um, partake in yeah. uh, and th- there are people that are like I can't make those times but will you send me the video afterwards and yeah. so um, some people just bike along to the videos and I have to say it's it's kind of a riot because you it's kind of a history of the the pandemic because you get to hear us talking in real time about you know oh my god did you see that you know now all the gyms are closed and geez you know gatherings we can't have more than 10 people indoors at once and uh and then we were talking about yeah i'm sure by july the races will be back on you know so it's really uh, us processing everything um as the months
0: go by Sure. You've got a journal, a video journal of yeah. this, this whole process. I know it's mm. crazy. Um, who would have, who would have funk, right? Yeah, that's for sure. So um, that's awesome. i if you don't mind, I'll share that information in, in the show notes with folks. Like that would be great.
1: Watch. I think yeah.
0: it sounds like a lot of fun. Uh, it's, it's what, 10 bucks to, uh, to join? Yep,
1: $10 a class. Yeah. Um, Very and cool. uh, usually people just Venmo me or um, PayPal, whatever. Yeah. <laughs>
0: So I wanted to ask. So you're you're obviously still biking. Um, how about uh, swimming and running? Is it still part of your your life and your fitness regime today?
1: Yeah, yeah. So well, I have to say, right now um, I've taken a little break from swimming. I had um, some quarantining I had to do. Um, when did I? Oh, when I went to Daytona for the Collins. Um, oh, the, that uh, was. That the challenge be, race.
0: Yeah, that had to be pretty interesting,
1: huh? Yeah, it was really, you know, I was a little torn about the, you know, responsibility of <laughs> going someplace when the pandemic right. was still going on. But um,
0: what did you it, think about the concept?
1: Uh, it was so cool. Like it was a, a great place for a race. I wish, you know, it would have been better if there weren't kind of regulations in place in terms of yeah. gatherings and masks and all that, because, um, you know, when you were watching the race, you were still trying to kind of socially be socially distant and um uh and not yell (laughs) things like that um so i think that it would be even better if uh you know under normal circumstances but it was super fun to watch i love lap races because you you really just get to watch it unfold and it just feels so you know immediate you know
0: it's like a a, a to race
1: or a swim meet
0: (laughs) tim yon of uh usa triathlon was a guest uh a few episodes ago and we were we were chatting about that race. I didn't know it was happening until, uh, you know, a friend who's a, a coach had been down and, and posted it. So I, I had to, you know, I watched a little bit of the streaming, pretty interesting concept because it was all in one self-contained uh, arena. And, and, yeah, on
1: the, the Daytona, Daytona Speedway. Yep. Speedway, yep, Yeah.
0: Which I, I didn't even realize they had a body of water there.
1: Yeah, cool. yeah, no, and it was actually a pretty nice place for swim, they, they did two laps. Um, but boy, they had, you know, they had an amateur race that, um, yeah, got tons of people. They, they sold out of the amateur race as well that, um, that was held before. And, um, yeah, it was, it was a really nice venue for a race. And I I can imagine, I mean, they didn't open up the stands, but, um, you know, if they had opened up the whole stands, it it would have been super fun. You know, you need some, um, some screens and a really good announcing and everything. Um, the TV broadcasters did a great job um and so it, it, you can still see the um the show i think if you google it you'd be able to find it um it was on tv a couple of times and
0: yeah it's probably uh, on youtube i I, yeah. it, I i'm sure that the you know the premise is to try to help uh, build the spectator opportunity for the sport of course you know i know the, yeah and just USA make it problem.
1: easier to cover media wise you know Um, you know, you're constantly able to really see how the race was unfolding.
0: That's Um, one of the challenges with triathlon. It, you know, longer the distance, the more expansive the courses. So from a spectator standpoint, uh, you know, much like watching a a bike tour, you get a fraction of it, (laughs) you know, unless you can get yourself to another, another point on the course. Yeah.
1: Um, I think sometimes what you, you, the best way for, yeah, a race like say the iron man or something is you have to have really good commentators that are telling you what's happening where you can't see but it's also fun to be there and you know see you know certain points of the race in person so you really need both to make a an iron man or something like that exciting um this was at a little shorter distance too so um it was the half so it wasn't quite as uh, long of a um uh yeah I expectating I, experience
0: I, I have to imagine you know in, in all of your professional years of racing that uh, your um, your relationship with the crowd is, has had to be pretty interesting too I, I imagine for uh, well you tell me I mean even even for an elite or professional are you still feeding off the crowds like like the amateurs are
1: uh, definitely. Um, I, I've always been an extroverted racer. You know how there's some people that they turn inward for their kind of, um, they, they need to block everything out and just think of themselves or whatever. I've always tried to draw energy from the people around me and inspiration um, as well. I, I remember in particular, like at Ironman on one of those really windy years where I was you know, scared, frankly, um, as well as frustrated because there's these crosswinds that you're just afraid you're going to get blown off your bike. And, you know, I I would coming down from Javi, you know, hanging on for dear life thinking, Oh my God, Oh my God, am I going to die? And across the way, I'd see, you know, a 75 year old lady, you know, charging along towards Javi. And I'm like, At this time, I'm like 75 now. I don't think of as old as all at all. But back then, when I was in my 30s, that seemed old. Um, But I'd be like, oh my god. this is so inspiring. Like, look at them. They're not scared. You know, they probably didn't even start biking till they were 60, you know, knowing the opportunities that women had. Um, and I also remember, you know, I'd be frustrated with that, with the headwind. And I see Daryl Haley, the New England, New England Patriot that did, um, Iron Man. Yeah, right. Huge guy. And he's yeah. like, you know, like a barn door going through these headwinds and <laughs> I'm like, Oh my God, if he can make it through or, or the Hoyts, you know, like, yeah.
0: Yes. Wow. So what?
1: I've always really liked to like, look around it. It's just, it just kind of grounds me to be like, you know, get out of your self pity and you're, you know, in, uh, out of, out of your own head and, um, get some perspective here. You know, I, that's always sort of helped me. Um, right. and then, you know, if, if a spectator is cheering, I, you know, I have to take a, a few things with a grain of salt, you know, I'd be chasing Paula down and, and I'd get a split like, Oh yeah, you're, um, you're half an hour back and then the next split would be like, you're only a few minutes behind. And I'd be like, all right, it's probably somewhere in between, you know? um, But then I would see like a Dave Scott who I'd be like, okay, he's going to give me to the 10th of a second, you know, and he he would give me a good split. So um, I I definitely would pay attention to that kind of thing for sure.
0: That's very cool. One of of the things that um, I've admired so much about you and, and, and your career has, has been, uh, you know, obviously your, your promise and your success as an athlete and the level of determination and perseverance you've had. But, uh, you, you know, what, I, what I've witnessed firsthand is, is, um, is how humble of an athlete you've been and a professional and, uh, and, and watching you years back with uh, my daughter in a, in a kid's race before the wilkes Triathlon and then, you know, playing video games in the arcade <laughs> uh, you know, you know, in the pre-race. So, uh, you know, folks, Karen Smyers, uh, hall of famer, but, uh, but certainly one of, one of the best in the sport.
1: That's um, the Part of the races that I've actually really, really enjoyed is the, just the, um, uh, all the things that go around a race as well. You know, I, I like that, that, you know, hanging with people before the race and after the race and getting to know, um, especially when the traveling around the world, you know, that, Getting to know other triathletes from other countries—it's just a great way of, um, you know, expanding your <laughs> uh, knowledge about the world. And um, um, and I've always been sort of a social athlete as well, so I, I enjoy my post-race beer for sure. Um, <laughs> one of the that, things I look forward to the most.
0: I I get it. That's that's what that's probably what kept me in the sport for, for a number <laughs> of years was being able to get to that beer tent after. After the race, absolutely. Yeah. Um, hey, any advice for? Because um, you know, we talked. We talked a little bit about it. Um, for maybe an aging athlete who has not, uh, you know, tried triathlon, but looks at this, looks at the the event as an intimidating thing and something they. I, I just saw it in some post yesterday. Uh, you know, from a friend who's in his early 60s, saying, "You know, I'd like to do a triathlon someday." What What advice do you have for those that are looking at it, that are intimidated, uh, that might might want to take on a try?
1: Yeah, I would say, you know, do not make it into something bigger than it is. Like. I've talked to so many people that are like, I I really want to try a triathlon sometime. I'm like, oh, well, can you, you know, do you have any swim background? They're like, well, I swim, you know, three times a week and I do, you know, 2,500 yards and um, and I'm running 25 miles a week. And yeah, I've done, you know, a couple long bike rides or whatever. And I'm like, what is holding you back? (laughs) You are so ready for a triathlon. (laughs) They're like, oh, I could never do all three together. I'm like, You absolutely can. Uh, I would say, you know, start with a local race where you're apt to get more first timers um, and you know, start small, start within a sprint race. So if you hate it, you, you don't have to be out there very long. But I guarantee you're going to you're gonna get the bug. Um, and I think I think people get intimidated for no reason other than it's new and different. And um, it's you know, putting it together, yeah, there's new things to learn, like transitioning. And um, the first time you do it, you probably won't be fast, but you know what? That you're gonna look at the results afterwards and you're gonna be like, huh, I would have beaten that person in front of me if I hadn't taken seven minutes in transition, you know, tied my shoes and whatever. And then you're like, next race, which is the whole idea is to get you hooked. Um, next race, I'm going to get elastic laces and that's going to take a minute off my time because I won't have to tie my shoes. And so you you just gradually start learning new things to um, make you a little better and a little more experienced. You don't have to do everything perfect your first race. Um, don't put so much pressure on yourself, you know, um, and do use a mountain bike. You don't need to go out and buy a fancy $10K, 10 K $10,000 road bike or ra- a racing bike just to do your first race. Um, and, 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 the other way to, you know, if you don't have the money to really invest in equipment, look for hand-me-downs triathletes are notorious yeah. um for wanting to upgrade their equipment and that means they've got you know something to hand down or sell for cheap so and they're often really good bikes you know so um look for um you know on recycle um sites or craigslist or whatever you can often find some really good equipment without having to invest in the full boat and, and save I, the, I love
0: i love the message of uh, don't make it bigger than it is uh, Yeah. You know, There's
1: something about the word triathlon, and I think it it comes from people associating triathlon with Ironman. So you know, I can't tell you how many times people would ask me, oh, you look like you do sports or something. I'll be like, oh, I'm a triathlete. And they're like, you do that thing in Hawaii. I'm like, well, actually, no, I do a, a one mile swim, a 25 mile bike and a 10K run, you know, and that's still, a. they're like, that's a triathlon. I'm like, yes, that's a triathlon. I mean, Olympics, I think has helped a little bit dispel that notion that, you know. Um, but, you know, there, there's no reason. I think a lot of people that get into it, they also are intrigued by, by the idea of an Ironman. They, it's like a bucket list thing. And I, I, I have mixed feelings about it. I think it's great for people to take that on as a big challenge. But I also think for a lot of people, it's unsustainable. So they, they decide, okay, I'm going to just take up triathlon until I can do an Ironman. And then I can say I've done it. And they can't sustain that kind of thing in their life. And so they're like, yeah, I had to quit because it was too much or, um, you know, it was a one and done, but if you kind of embrace the lifestyle of, of just doing a little swimming, a little biking, a little running and do some shorter races and just try and get faster at the shorter races, it fits in most people's lifestyle a lot easier than an Ironman training does. And it can be just as, just as rewarding. If you know that, I love the Olympic distance with the, um, uh, the carrot of trying to make an age group national team. Um, you know, everybody gets to go to that same race. I went to in Avignon, France, as an amateur, and there's five year age groups, and it's just as prestigious. And um, you get to walk in a you know parade of nations in your uniform and race with the USA across your chest, and um, it's it's very competitive and super yeah. fun. Well, and that, that's
0: um, a great point because you can you can really make a lot of the fun uh, you know, the destination. Yeah,
1: sure. You get to travel to all these great places. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Well, Karen, I want, I want to thank you for uh, giving us some time to get to know you and, and share your story. And, um, and again, it's just been a, it's been a real pleasure, uh, to be able to catch up. And, and I know that, I know that the listeners will, uh, Excited to learn that there's there's a way to still continue to interact with you on Zoom if they want to put themselves in the saddle and and uh, we'll share that in the uh, in the notes.
1: Yeah, sure, so my th- pleasure.
0: Yeah, thank you again for your time and uh, uh, you know all the best to you and your family and I hope that uh, this pandemic uh, ends ends quickly and puts us all back into a sense of normalcy yeah
1: well thank you and good luck with uh with your podcast thanks for having me on and um you've got some other really uh interesting podcasts on there so people should check it out
0: yeah thanks very much karen Smyers.
1: all right thanks <laughs>